Good morning. Good morning. It came out. Uh, this is one of those mornings, and I don't have many of these mornings. Usually I'm um, pretty gung-ho on uh, Sunday morning and coming to the weekend, but this is one of those mornings, I don't know if you've ever had them, where you don't want to go to church. I'm not kidding. I didn't want to be around people. I didn't want anyone asking me any questions of how I was doing because I'm not doing great. And um, I feel like my life is fractured. I feel like a rock that's just been skipping across the surface of life for the last few weeks. And I feel dislocated and disoriented. I don't feel close to the staff because I've seen them in fits and starts. I don't feel real close to my family because we've been like ships crossing in the night going and doing different things and it started a couple weeks ago and we went out on vacation but it wasn't really vacation it was to go see um, Heidi's mom and dad and um, she's in the latter parts of the stages of cancer and this really hits home for us and then I hadn't seen my wife uh, this week and last week I got home from that vacation and my mom and dad were here and we spent time with them and so we weren't in our own bed. I think in the last two weeks I slept in my own bed just a few nights. And then right after last weekend I preached my heart out on Jesus, which I really, really loved, but then right after that went over to the other side of the state and spent three days with our church planters, which was really, really awesome. But almost another context and another environment and leaving my family behind and, and wanting to stay connected to my wife. And then my daughter um, um, was asked you know, by a guy if she would be his girlfriend. And so we had to negotiate that over the phone like Jack Bauer. <laughs> and I'm talking to my daughter Allie about this as she gets ready to go to college. And, and this guy Mason, um, who's been in our life for a couple years, just come to love him as part of our family. They decided that they're gonna start dating, going to college, and I'm just like a little cockeyed about that and loving that, and, and, um, but not really wanting to have a phone call about that. And I didn't even think about that last night, but then I came home and Heidi was gone to see her mom again um, with, with Tay and uh, for her birthday, and it was harder and heavier, and they decided to, to stop the chemotherapy and to go more into just comfort care, coming down the home stretch. And that's just one of those levees that, that breaks that, uh, I don't know, just different when you're the person, right? We love you, Jason. Yeah, I love you too. And I'm really, I'm, I'm scared for my wife. I don't know what kind of wife I'm going to have after her best friend dies. So, I haven't been sleeping good. And I just saw my wife last night and she came in and was crying before the service. And like, oh God, I just don't... I don't feel like I'm supposed to get up and share about Nucleus and the series, but 
There's no one else to do this, you know, and it's just like you. Some days you have to get up and go to work. And, um, and then this week, Allie is going to college. And uh, she's here. And I love her with all my heart. I love you. This church has been such an awesome place for my, my family. And she came when she was three years old, and now she's 18. And man, I prayed in the early years, don't make her one of those rebellious pastor's kids. <laughs> I'd met them. Woo! And uh, she's just experienced such a loving, beautiful bride of Christ here. And I'm going to miss you, Grace. So we'll take her. And uh, I feel like I'm losing her, too, but I'm not. And, and this is really critical because she's had a nucleus and a tribe and a family here. And my prayer is that she'll go there and find some great girlfriends. She already took care of the boyfriend thing, obviously, last week. But. And... Uh, but she'll find just a great family like we have here. So thank you for being a, a good family. I'm just really proud of you. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Did somebody throw this up on the stage? Or to God, did you just provide a ram in the thicket? You know? Yeah. 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 No, seriously, was this here? That was cool. <laughs> That's Greg White. I just hugged him on the way in, and he had a procedure done. I'm not sure what it's called, but he's just kind of losing his voice, and he had Botox shots into his throat, into his vocal cords, and said it was really, really scary because it feels like it's, you can't breathe, like it's, it's choking you. So praying for you too, buddy. We need the, what the Bible calls the household of faith or the family of God. Because sometimes when you don't want to go to church, sometimes that's the very place that you need to be. And it's just good to be with other people. It's, what's not good is I have to sit up here and talk <laughs> while I feel this way, you know? But, but I am really glad for the presence of a band of Christ followers and, and if you're new here and you don't really feel plugged in and you're like, who is that <laughs> pansaic guy up front? Um, that I just, I'm not like this all the time and that's, that's neither good nor bad, it just is what it is. I wanna be strong. Um, 
And I feel like I am strong right now by being weak. Um, And you can too. You can just be who you are before God. I think sometimes pastors, we just come and we just share at peak performance so much that everybody just doesn't know why the the pastor is so paranormal and supernatural and they just are normal and natural. I just want you to know I have a normal, natural just everyday mundane life and I have undulations of highs and lows and I don't always feel that great but man I'm really glad to have a family a faith family and so as we prepare for fall a lot of times we talk about our family we have just kind of a family talk because as it as it goes seasonally, the church goes into a sort of a surge mode and people come back from vacations and man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be crazy around here and we need your help. We need everybody to know in this family that um, it doesn't just happen with or without us, it happens with us and we all got to sort of make an active decision to insert ourselves into the family paradigm, into the nuclear family that is this church and to say, what can I do to contribute to the health of what's taking place here so that people can come to the body of Christ and meet the head who is Jesus and the body and the head, there isn't a decapitation, but they're together and that the mind of Christ is worked out in the body of Christ. And when people walk in here, they feel the presence of God because the body of Christ is the new presence of God once Jesus left. And since we're the tangible physical expression of that presence to the world, so that's a big deal. And, and it wouldn't surprise you, I read books on the church quite often, the, the good, bad, and the ugly, and how to lead a healthy church And one of the quotes that I jotted down a while back was nothing on earth has greater potential to change lives and carry out his kingdom work in your community than your local church. There's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable, its power breathtaking, and its potential is unlimited. The church is the hope of the world. And I believe that when the church is working right and working together and fighting the good fight, which is to fight the right fight, not the wrong fights. And fighting against the darkness instead of fighting against each other. But the church isn't always that hopeful and alive. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, said, 100 religious persons knit into a unity by careful organization does not constitute a church any more than 11 dead men make up a football team. We know that because we're Lions fans. (laughs) The first requisite is life, always. The first requisite and prerequisite is life. And, And it doesn't, like, I don't know, It just isn't something that I'm not mindful of, that it takes a bunch of people activating and mobilizing themselves to insert and inject life into something in order for it to be poised and passionate. That just does not occur simply because we get together underneath a steel roof. That's everybody here activating themselves and animating themselves as the body of Christ so that the hand moves 
and the finger moves. And I don't know what part you play, but if everybody here moves, we have a pretty agile thing going on here. And that requires everyone in the church to ask, am I life-giving or am I soul-killing? And if you're neutral, you're soul-killing in the body. Like, we, we, we've got to be this life-giving agent. And so it's nucleus only because there's nuclei, right? And you're one of those nuclei that makes up the nucleus that is the body of Christ. So this idea of a series, nucleus, came to mind with an emphasis on the us. And we didn't want to just be really cheesy and choose a series called This Is Us. Uh, nucleus by definition is the central and most important part of an object group or movement forming the basis for its activity health or growth that's us that's us biologically speaking the nucleus is an organelle which is found in cells arranged as DNA molecules along with a variety of proteins to form chromosomes. The nucleus maintains the integrity of the genes and controls activities of the cell by regulating gene expression. So this DNA, you'll hear that around here. What's our culture? What's our DNA? And what's the genetic expression? Well, that's all about the health of the cell in the nucleus and the proteins. And the, and the chromosomes and the DNA and the genetics, that's what makes up a healthy bell, a body filled with all these cells. And I researched these things of molecules, proteins, and genetics, and I ran across something that stood out to me as one of the greatest threats to the nucleus in the body of Christ, just as much as a human being's body. And so it's called an autoimmune disease. Some of you know all about this here. And it's something that can be the scariest thing to diagnose and treat because of its particular attack on the body. And you might ask, well, what's an autoimmune disease? Well, it's a condition in which your immune system mistakenly attacks the good cells within your body. The immune system normally guards against germs like bacteria and viruses. When it senses these foreign invaders, it sends out an army of fighter cells to attack them. Normally, the immune system can tell the difference between foreign cells and your own cells, but in an autoimmune disease, the immune system mistakes part of your own body, like your joints or your skin, as foreign, and it releases proteins called antibodies that end up attacking healthy cells. Proteins can actually illogically begin to fight against other good proteins, and the body begins killing itself from within. That's when you, it's, you're really wigged out, like when good things are attacking good things. It's called friendly fire. It's called infighting in a body of Christ. It strikes me how easy it is for this very thing to begin insidiously occurring in the body of Christ and how vital it is to learn how to function as a body, to find your function and then to learn collectively how to be functional. This is why Paul was regularly speaking to local churches about how to guard against becoming a dysfunctional local church body with autoimmune diseases where people use their God-given gifts to attack each other rather than change the world. And he was calling out even in Ephesians 4 that you would like, keep the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. One passage where he spoke of the metaphor of being Christ's body 
as, as a church is in Romans 12. And they were learning as a small church there in Rome how to act and interact as a faith family because this was all new to them. And so Paul took some time to spell out body life because as it was said before, there's nothing like the local church when it's working right. It is the hope of the world. So I hope today we'll open our hearts in a posture of learning so that we can figure out how to band together to conduct ourselves as the physical expression of God to each other and the watching world around us because I know this is something I need to be taught because my nature is not others-ish, it's very selfish. I default to me, not to we. So in a world of me, myself, and I, it's critical that our church becomes a body of we, us, and our, more each other and, and one another, and less, you know, individualism or rugged individualism in this world. The title of the message, for those of you that care about that, that kind of thing, is the DNA of a healthy church body. And I wanna learn about this from Paul's letter to the Roman church. He starts in Rome, Romans chapter 12, verse four, saying, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members or parts do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And this is interesting, because we're, we're a lot of people. There's many of us, but we have to become one. Many bodies to become one body. And the thing at the end just really strikes me as a huge commitment. It's almost like a marriage, like, honey, I'm giving myself to you and you're giving yourself to me, that we're not our own, that we belong to each other. I mean, that's a radical concept. Out in the world, you're your own deal and you just fight for yourself and take care of yourself. But here, we submit mutually to each other because I belong to you and you belong to me. In fact, Christ said, you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. You are not your own. And one of the things I think in churches, we all want to stay individuals. And he says, yeah, you are many bodies, but I want you to be one body. And the way you do that is mutually submit to each other that you are not yours and they are not theirs, that you are each other's. That's a powerful body when that starts pulling in the same direction. It goes on, it says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us, which is really amazing that you got gifts. But if you don't know that if you don't get grace with those gifts, you think everybody should have the same gift or personality or perspective or, you know, ability, but that's not how it works. Just because people aren't like you and you're different it's, it's important that we accept, embrace, and actually find glory in our differences. And the only way for those different gifts to not be something where we become prideful in our gift and dismissive of other people's gifts is when God gives us grace along with a gift so that we honor the multitude of gifts in the body. And he goes into them, if your gifts prophesy, then prophesy, speak truth in each other's life, right? In accordance with faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently, Jason, today, right? And look at that. Lead well today, Jason, even if you don't feel like it. Be diligent, overcome, be faithful, right? 
And if it's show mercy, do it cheerfully. There's a way actually to do things cheerfully and diligently and generously. It sees these are adverbs. Like I want you to do the verb, but add some adverbs to that. And a church that just does the verbs and not the adverbs is not a contagious church that becomes very attractive to people in the world. It's those adverbs that make all the difference. It's you did it, but you did it with joy. Right after this paragraph of Paul talking about the dynamic nucleus of the body of Christ, he then moves in rapid fire through a list of the DNA of a healthy church's genetic expression. In Romans 12, starting in verse 9, I'll fire through these. It says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what's good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share where the Lord's people are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. (sighs) Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people in low position. Don't be conceited. That's the same thing as not being proud, but you're a bunch of proud people so I said it twice don't repay evil for evil be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone ah! it, if it's possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone don't take revenge my dear friends for this written is mine to avenge our repay says the Lord wow on the contrary if your enemy is hungry do what you would you would naturally do right feed him wrong that's not what we would do right we punch him in the face And he's like, not this body. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Which is a weird phrase, right? And then it says, don't be overcome with evil. Overcome evil with good. And he's like, you get what I'm talking about? This is the body of Christ. It's like, like, man, that's a lot of content. That's a lot of stuff. That's a lot to digest. And he's like, but this is the DNA of a new thing that Jesus died for called the church, called the ecclesia. The brass tacks of the body of Christ, these no-nonsense nuclear components. Romans 12, just to go through them one at a time, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. A loving church is tr- that is truly sincere hates bad things intensely and cherishes good things dearly. And, and we're in a world where the word hate's thrown around a lot, and so, you know, it's like hate speech and hate groups. We, we hear about that, and that's a real thing. And we would think we're never supposed to hate but you're supposed to hate. Love hates evil. And we as a church have to learn how to hate the right things. Not hate right things, hate the right things that God hates. See, we we hate in this church lying. 
And we hate domestic violence and bitter rage and marital affairs and cheating and deception and substance abuse and all its effects and favoritism and gossip and racism and jealousy and pornography and systemic injustice and laziness and gluttony and entitlement and hypocrisy and child abuse. We hate these things, right? We hate them and we will fight against these things. But we also got to cling to what's good. We cling to goodness and integrity and kindness, forgiveness, grace, generosity, hospitality, justice, humility, endurance, faithfulness, self-control, discernment, joy, hope, freedom, encouragement, friendship, love. These are the things we cling to. Why do we have to cling to those things? Because it's so easy for those things to be the things we let go of. And we just got to, we got to hold on to those things. And we got to fight like warriors against things that are killing people's lives. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He does. And all the things he uses, we hate those things. Hate what is evil, cling to what's good. That's sincere love. Even Jesus, when he came, John described him in John... 1 verse 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. My definition of love is grace plus truth equals love. It's not love if it doesn't have both grace and truth. Grace minus truth is sugar-coated heresy. And truth minus grace is mean religion. But grace plus truth is sincere love. Goes on in Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. A devoted church treats one another with loving honor, sacrificing personal wants or preferences for communal needs. Like they drop their preferences to honor the other person in devotion. I may prefer that others take the initiative, but I'll kill that urge and go first. I may prefer talking over listening, but I'll be quick to hear and slow to speak. I may prefer not sharing my weakness, but I'll keep it real to normalize people's struggles. Interesting, I wrote that in the beginning of the week. And then God's like, well, why don't you try that on for size? I may prefer not to care about somebody's problems, but I'll move toward their pain anyhow. I may prefer to only be around people that are easy to love, but that's not how Jesus lived. I may prefer a different kind of music in the church, but I can see others around me moved, and that moves me. I may prefer a different kind of preaching, but I can see people are transforming. Plus, I can feed myself, because I have one of these myself, a Bible. I may prefer things that make me feel good, but now I look for what makes other people feel good. And I might have an instinct to want what I want, but I want to devote myself to honor other people's needs above my own. Be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. Verse 11, he goes on, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Keep the fire stoked. A healthy church fights to maintain its spiritual fervor each and every day. Each and every person does this each and every day in each and every one of our specific, unique callings by focusing on serving the Lord wherever we're needed with poise and passion. If you don't set out to keep it, you will set up 
be set up to lose it. That passion comes and goes, and you have to keep it. I can tell you right now, if you don't take heart, you will lose heart. Because heart just doesn't sort of come naturally. That's why I says, take heart. In this world, you will have suffering, but take, take heart. I've overcome the world. And, they, and Paul even says, therefore, we do not lose heart. It's this idea of like keeping your spiritual fervor and, and maintaining zeal as you serve the Lord. Boy, that doesn't just happen. You gotta, you gotta say, God, I'm setting out to do that. I wanna have passion. Do I actively do things to keep my passion levels high for God throughout the week? Do I come to church each week eager to serve the Lord by serving people? Does zeal fill my spirit when I think about gathering with the church body? Do I greet people and relate to kids and listen to the message and sing with enthusiasm? Do I look people in the eye with a contagious smile and a bright countenance? Am I fighting to keep a spiritual fervor in life or am I letting myself become lazy and lukewarm? Paul's like, man, this is the kind of body I want you to be. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep that spiritual fervor while you're serving the Lord. But pain's gonna come our way. So he says in verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, or in difficulty and faithful in prayer. A strong church faces hardships with patient hope and abiding confidence in the power of prayer believing by faith that God can change anything, work any miracle, and do the impossible. We never give up. We don't. We just keep hoping. We just keep praying. We stay patient, even in affliction. We, we endure. We fight. We don't just give up on anybody or anything. Do I suffer well? Do I maintain joy even when I'm not happy? I hope you're seeing something right now. I'm not happy today, but I'm stoked in the Lord. Does that make sense? Like I don't want to do what I'm doing right now. I'm not joking. This is so exposing to not feel happiness. But what I'm saying to God is, I'm your vessel. I'm like a glove. I'm just hanging like this, but if you put your hand in and start moving, you can animate me with your joy because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen. Right? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, it says in Psalm 51. Don't even get me preaching. Man, where, what do I do? Do I give up when things don't go my way? Do I keep praying even when I don't see answers to prayers? Do I keep bouncing around to churches anytime they start to bother me? Or am I resilient and faithful? Am I up in your grill yet? Have I falsely believed that following Jesus meant my life would be and stay easy? Is my life based on obedience or convenience? Devotion or just emotion? Am I just a fair weather follower or fan of Jesus Christ? Verse 13 says, share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. This is for you tightwads. 
A generous church is always asking, what can I give or give up in order to make others feel at home in this house? Hospitality cannot exist without radical generosity. With your time, with your energy, and with your life, your time, your talents, your treasures, you bring them and offer them. Am I sharing my energy? Am I showing up and sharing my energy with other people? Am I showing up to share encouragement with those who are beat down? Am I showing up to share my tithe so that the church can thrive, not just survive? Am I showing up to share my smile and presence and time and listening ears so others feel welcome? Am I showing up to share or take, give or get, deposit or withdraw, invest or suck? Because I can tell you if you showed up to suck today, church is going to suck. And some people just, they just download. They never upload. They pirate. More. Me, me. Vacuum cleaners, they suck. And every church that sucks, sucks that I've ever been in. You should leave church drained because you have poured yourself out as a drink offering before the Lord, as Paul said. You, yeah, I want to leave church inspired. What is that? That's just our American church. I'm, I'm serious. You, you should leave church with less energy, less time, and less money. Because you came and gave to the church. Holy smokes. And and I just think there's some people, they don't know how to invest in the church. All they do is infest the church. And if you infest this church with your presence, but never invest into this church, we will have an autoimmune disease. And the nucleus will not be strong. And our DNA will not be strong. And this culture will be anemic. And people will feel it. And it will not feel like the body of Christ because it won't look like the body of Christ because it will be detached from the head. You're going to love this next one, verse 14, because this is so like popular. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And don't think for a second that when this book was written in the first century, they loved that statement any more than you hate it right now. Graceful, a graceful church seeks to bless people even when they're, they're ill-treated by them or mistreated by them. The people of God don't curse people ever. They never say or think, God damn you. That right there is really, really practical. That if you ever encounter somebody in any way is mistreating you, there should be in your head and on your lips a God bless you. Not God damn you. That's hard. I'm not talking about easy truth here. This is like, this is steak and potatoes. This isn't your, your typical jello Jesus. And I'm not good at that. But only until God like takes out my operating system and puts in his OS, right? and then changes all my system preferences to his preferences, and I take on the mind of Christ, am I able to do what Jesus did? And when I am persecuted, I don't retaliate, or when I'm reviled, I don't retaliate, but I commit myself to him who judges righteously. Say, God, 
They're all yours. I don't know how you're going to do that, but you need God's spirit to do that. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. A caring church celebrates with you when something awesome happens in your life and enters your pain with you when puke hits the fan. They don't make people feel self-conscious about sharing blessings or burdens. We're not really great at either one of these things, I've noticed in our culture. In fact, when something awesome happens in my life, I don't want to tell anybody to make them feel bad that it didn't happen to them too. And when something bad happens in my life, I don't want to share it with them because I don't want them to feel bad to make a bad life even worse. It's really interesting. If something's really, really good, if we're too good or too bad, we don't like those people. And he says, I want the church to be the place where everyone else, like the minute something good happens in your life, you have to edit it out or you have to regulate yourself so everyone else doesn't feel bad that they didn't get an inheritance from their family or they didn't have a, a good job promotion or whatever. You can come here and share something awesome and we'll be happy for you even if it doesn't happen to us. Because we're not selfish or not and we'll mourn with you when you mourn because we want skin off our back live in harmony with one another do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position do not be conceited it is conceit and pride pride and prejudice that causes us to look at other people and positionally to typecast them and to marginalize them and ostracize them. And he says, not, not in this house. And I'm gonna tell you today, not in this house. Not in this house. We actually are going to look for in the herd, the weakest ones in the herd of low position. And we are going to swarm them I've heard stories just today of people that have been in baptism class and they, they're struggling with schizophrenia. I don't know if th that might touch you here today. We welcome you. Mental, mental illness, we're just praying before um, coming out here with the band and tech team for things and and just someone shared about just this bipolar thing that they've got going on and they were so scared because they were a pastor's kid and they grew up and, and it was just seen as weakness and, and don't want to even share with anybody else because God should just be able to take care of that and sort of anti-medicine and anti-doctors and science and anti-church. It's like you don't go to the church and share that you have sort of mental illness and because we're so trite and we got platitudes and we'll just, just trust God and it'll go away or just pray and you'll have a better day. It's like we, we, we just gravitate to people that just don't have good hygiene. We hug them. We gravitate to people that look really, really weird and act really, really weird. Because newsflash, you're all weird. <laughs> you're the only one that doesn't think you're weird. And you got problems. You're the only one that thinks everybody else has problems. It's like some of you here, it's like I've had like one roommate, I've had like nine roommates and they're all so, I don't know, weird. It's like, you know, 
it could be you. Has anyone ever told you that? Like you just keep going through people, you know, like underwear, it's you. I can't even finish my message, that's unfortunate. Man, but you have the Bible, you can read some of these. I do want to get into this one, just a couple more minutes. Romans 12, 17 to 18. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. A peaceful church does whatever it can to promote reconciliation instead of retribution. They aren't about keeping score or even trying to even keep everything fair because they believe in radical, undeserved grace. Peacemakers are warriors. They don't go into places and intentionally become a disturber of the peace, but they're just seeking to bring peace as a peacemaker as far as it depends on them. They can't control everyone else, but they know they're gonna show up and to bring peace, not war, not conflict, and to live in harmony. And this repaying evil, boy, that's, that's hard. It goes in verse 19, Speaks toward it. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written his mind to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. A surrendered church flushes out the flesh's desire to retaliate, ridding itself of bitterness and vengeance through forgiveness, that great gift of forgiveness, and entrusting God with the responsibility of divvying out justice and judgment. I'm just telling you, if you take this stress of trying to be God and being, you know, sort of the judge, jury, and executioner, you will take a huge burden off your life so that you can live a full and fulfilling life. And just trust that God, he'll take care of business. Justice and judgment will happen. He'll repay. He's the great judge. And he's the judge of justice. We're not, typically. We have our agenda. But God can judge with justice. Will you trust him with that person, with that situation, and just let it go and know that he will execute judgment and justice and retribution for you? And this whole idea of, of killing them with kindness, it's interesting. Somebody said last night, he's like, you know, I've tried to kill someone with kindness before, but they don't die fast enough. <laughs> I was like, that's interesting. I like that quote. So you don't kill someone with kindness so that you know, it looks like they're suffering and eventually dying. I just I thought that was cool. Because the next one, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you'll heap burning coals in his head. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. A victorious church loves its enemies by killing them with kindness. Everywhere evil is establishing strongholds of sin, the church should be found setting up beachheads of beauty. Everywhere. I know it's antithetical and I know it's counterintuitive, almost everything I shared today, but this is why the church can be the salt and light of the world. The shining city on a hill in a world that is just seeing everything but this kind of lifestyle. And if we band together, everybody becomes one body and we purposefully go after this 
in the weeks to come as we talk about the various parts of the body and the functions of those and how you can insert your cellular molecular structure into that to strengthen it, man, our church will be ready for this fall and many, many sons and daughters will come to glory. They will meet their maker. They will find their father because the body of Christ was being the healthy genetic expression of Jesus in the world. Can you just put your hands out like this as I pray and we leave? I can hear it raining. We got, we got a team here that has umbrellas. And they're getting ready to serve you, aren't you? I'm just going to say that by faith, that they are going to serve you. God, we, uh, we just put our hands out as a posture of just surrender because some of us are so macho in here. We've figured out a way to deflect every single thing that you've said here this morning, and we are going to leave unscathed. And I hope your Holy Spirit pounces on that person, puts them in a full Nelson, and makes them say, Uncle, right now. And then there's just people who are just, they just are chill. And it was like, well, that was really neat, and I'm glad Jason was open, and that was cool to see a vulnerable pastor and all that crap that we just, we digest this stuff and we turn it into such selfish consumption. God, I pray that this is not an inspiring thing, that I'm not interested in inspiration, I'm interested in transformation. And, and the truth will be told in how our lives are changed as we move forward. So take everything that has been experienced in the last hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half, and help us to band together as a body, to meet new people, to reach out, to get out of our comfort zones, and to move into your zone of risk and faith, because that's where the life and adventure starts, right there, baby. We love you so much, God, and we love you precisely because when we can't do it, you can And when we don't feel it, you can fill us with your emotions. And when we don't have the words, you can give us words. And this week, there's a lot of people in here with a lot of deficiencies, and they don't know how they're going to tackle what's in front of them. But I pray that you will just come upon them by your spirit and fill them up for the task before them. They have what it takes if they have you. We lift you up, Jesus, as the center, as our, our lifeblood and our lifeline. And uh, we want to stay close to you. And we pray in that powerful name of Jesus this morning. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Come on up if you want to have prayer. Can you hold on? Can you hold on a second? Sherry, can you come up? Please. Just jump. <laughs> So last night I prayed over Jason and I just think it would be good to have Sherry pray over Jason and over Heidi, over Allie, over the family. Um, can you just join us in that? Go ahead, Sherry. Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, we cry out to you. We know we don't have what it takes for this family to, to feel your power, but we know that you do. You have come to comfort brokenhearted people. You've come to to bring your healing love and your power in their weakness. And so like Paul, 
you say that your grace is sufficient. Your mm. power is made perfect in weakness. Yes. And today, God, you allowed us to see Jason preaching in a way where your power was made perfect in, in yes. his open vulnerability and weakness. And so today we just ask that you will so be intimately close yes. to each member of the Holdridge family. That, God, mm. you will give grace where it's needed. That you'll give your intimate love and speak tenderly to their heart. God, we're just asking that as there are so many places they all need to go in this next couple weeks, <laughs> that God, wherever they go, they will sense the, the pervading spirit, the, the visceral Holy Spirit presence yes. in such a way that they know that you are with them. You're never going to leave them. Yeah. In your name we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you.